we're looking at uh, the subject of apostles, who the subject is apostles see potential. Uh, So let me just read the overarching passage from Ephesians 4 that sets out all of these ministry gifts and then we'll hone in from there. So Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, we read this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. When Hilary and I bought our first house, four-bedroom, three-floored, terraced, uh, if you're under 30, you might want to close your ears at the moment, for £16,500. Gosh, it was that long ago. It was a proper doer-upper. Everything needed doing. And the only way we could afford it was to have two lodgers at the top who got the nice rooms, and then we lived in chaos down below. Um, And uh, we didn't have much money because I was working for the church, so we made the kitchen. uh, Kitchen units were really expensive in those days, so we bought uh, eight by four melamine sheets and cut them up to make carcasses for the kitchen. It's as bad as it sounds. Um, we, We knocked down the outside toilet and had to kind of prop it up and then rebuild it. A small tip, guys, just because you've got time on Christmas Eve doesn't mean that that's a good idea. (laughs) Infinity is the number of times your wife has forgiven you after 42 years of marriage, that's all I can say. We, we, We wired it, you can't do that anymore, we wired it from top to bottom, and I remember on the middle floor, Uh, trying to work out three-way switching, if you've ever done this stuff, with the Reader's Digest book of home improvement. Why wasn't he using Google? Because the founders of Google hadn't been born. (laughs) And writing on, it's a logic puzzle at the end of the day. And then I thought, I've done all this, I can do some plumbing. So I went to the kitchen sink, was going to reseat the tap, and within five minutes, I had created a water feature. Context is everything, and take it for one who knows, the kitchen sink is not the place for a water feature. So I phoned up my mate, uh, uh, (laughs) who came round, and he fixed it fairly quickly, and Russell looked at me and said, Ian, love what you're doing with the house. Next time you want to try plumbing, please get me in to fix what you've done before you start. (laughs) Good advice. You look in my toolkit at home, It does have plumbing instruments, but they're pretty much only used to turn things off before I call someone who knows what they're doing. You have to learn what you're good at and what you're not good at. And pretty much the only way of doing it is by experience. By trying things, seeing that they work, or trying things and finding they don't work. And maturity, and I think that's what's described in this passage. Maturity is when you understand how God's made you and what gifts the Spirit has given you, and you major on those things. But we all start, fundamentally, by having a go. So what does the Bible say about what apostles are? Because we're given these five descriptions 
of the kind of gifts that are needed in the church to build it up and make it strong. What are apostles? Well, we're going to do a quick run through the scriptures that we have. Starting in Matthew chapter 10, where we read, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles, first Simon, and you know who they are. Luke chapter 6 is a bit more explicit. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. We all know about those guys, don't we? The 12 apostles. But of course, one of them seriously blows it. Judas betrays Jesus and kills himself. So at the beginning of Acts, we read this. Peter stands up and says, Therefore it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from, from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they pray, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you've chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. And you're thinking, who? Whatever happened to Matthias? Well, we have no idea. No idea at all. Then there's another significant figure, which is Paul. Romans chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Paul was an apostle. Nobody I think would challenge that comment. But if you read on to the end of Romans, Romans 16, verse 7, we get this. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who've been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. So how do we make sense of all of that? What's it trying to tell us? Well, Acts 1.22 tells us that the 12 were witnesses to the resurrection. They had lived with Jesus. They'd seen Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, resurrected before them. And I think it's fair to say they had an authority that came with, from being with Jesus. So if you said oh, I think Jesus said this, they could say, and I'm sorry, I lived with him for three years, that's what he said. There's an authority that they had that is unique. Almost. Because Paul comes along and he becomes an apostle in a sense that's equal with the 12 or the 11 or the 12, depending what you think of Matthias. Was it a good idea to cast lots and appoint Matthias? Discuss. Uh, well, I thought that, and then I thought, actually, that's not even in the top thousand questions I want to ask God, so we'll move on quickly. Someone can write a PhD on it sometime, and I won't read it. But there we go. 
So you have the 12 who have this unique authority. Paul, who meets the risen Jesus in such a powerful way, and it's so significant, it's described in Acts at length and then repeated twice at length. So Paul is an apostle in that kind of sense, I think. But then you get these other characters who are described as apostles, Andronicus and Junior. No suggestion that they're being added to the twelve. And just to make things even more interesting, Junior is a female name. Now, I know if, you're, if, you, if you've studied theology, gallons of theological ink have been spilt over whether it's male or female, this character, Junior. The irony of it is, is before you get to this reference, the chapter is all describing Paul's fellow workers who worked hand in hand with him, and more than half of them are women. That's not the subject for today, but if the passage presents you with a hand grenade, it would be a shame not to pull, pull out the pin before we move on. So you have these two, Andronicus and Junior, who are described as apostles. The way I kind of make sense of it, and you can do with it what you will, but I like to think of the Twelve and Paul as apostles with a large A at the beginning. They had an authority that's never repeated in the history of the church. But there are clearly other people who I like to think of as apostles with a small a because it kind of suits my tidy mind. And they are also called apostles that continue. Now, you can disagree with me. Uh, if someone's volunteering to make coffee, we'll disagree over coffee later. But there's nothing more that sort of unpacks it in the New Testament than that. So we'll assume, because I think that's all you can do, that the apostles, the characteristics of the ongoing small a apostles are just what the other guys did, except that they didn't have that walking with Jesus for three years and being witnesses to his resurrection in the same sense. So let me try and pick out three sets of characteristics that spell out to me what an apostle is in the New Testament. And the first is this, I think apostles are pioneers and team builders. And the word itself, apostle, just means someone who's sent. So there's just in the word itself a sense of dynamism and purpose and action and newness. Some of the older commentaries talk about apostles being missionaries, but I don't think that really gets us far. Because you can be a missionary in another country and you can be a teacher or an administrator or doesn't really define your calling as such any more than being a vicar makes you an apostle. You could be a teacher or a pastor or an apostle or an evangelist or any mixture thereof. But it seems to me, if you read what happened with Peter and with Paul, here are people who are ready to move. They're listening to God. Of course, we should all listen to God. But they are thinking, what next? Where next? What should we do? There's also an element of suffering that goes with it, it seems to me. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, sorry, it's not on the screen. 1 Corinthians 4, 9 to 13. Paul defends his apostleship, not in terms of how wonderful he was. Well, let me read it. For it seems to me, he says, that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession. 
like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you're strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags, we're brutally treated. We are homeless, we work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. <laughs> so having read the terms and conditions, those who want an apostolic calling form an orderly queue at the back. <laughs> it's not a position, it's a calling. Here are people who broke new ground and it cost them. Here are people who built a team to build a church. I think it's one of the mistaken ideas we have of Paul, that he's some kind of lone ranger. But actually, everything he does is about team, people going with him. One place he even says, I couldn't go there because I couldn't find someone to be with me. He's a team builder who sets a firm foundation as with all of the gifts, to equip his people for works of service. So apostles are pioneers, they're team builders. That's the first thing. Secondly, I want to suggest that apostles are both strategic and opportunistic. You look at Paul's missionary journeys, we've all kind of seen the maps at the back of the Bibles, and he just worked his way around the trade work, trade routes, to go to centres of population where people came in from the areas round about. So you plant a church there and you start to reach the area round about. He was massively strategic and yet you also see Paul as being led by the Spirit, having a vision in the middle of the night saying don't go there, go there and going forward to do it. There's something wonderfully pragmatic within this kind of strategic operation. I mean, Jesus did that with teaching about finding people of peace. Go somewhere, talk to everyone, see who listens to you, stick with them. I mean, it's not complicated, is it? <laughs> but it's taking the opportunities that God gives. Now, often in, in talks you get about apostleship or books you read, they, they refer to the apostolic gift as being entrepreneurial. And I want to say yes, but I, I have present company accepted listen to church leaders speak about entrepreneurs, and to my mind, they've just watched far too many episodes of The Apprentice. It's just... Most of the entrepreneurs I know, and we've got a number of successful entrepreneurs in the church, would rather you pull up their fingernails with that anaesthetic than go on The Apprentice. They are not rah-rah, big noise, this is where we're going kind of people. They are, sit down, how are we going to do this? How are we going to plan that? Go forward, an opportunity occurs there, they'll go there and follow forward. They are hardworking, probably to the point where the idea of work-life balance is a big challenge to them. They are experienced in doing things wrong, reflecting on it and then doing it right. And they are, without exception in my mind, really great at executing plans. So they don't just talk about it, they just do it, and then they do it the next day, and they do it the next day, and they do it until it's done through. And I think that, if you think of an entrepreneur like that, I think it 
I think it works. This image thing is a problem. There's a lovely, I must tell you this, there's a lovely second century description of Paul, which may or may not be accurate, but it's the closest we've got to a photo of the Apostle Paul. And in, in it, the writer is explaining how this person is going to recognise Paul when he meets him. And he says this, well, he's small in size, bald-headed, bow-legged, well-built, this is the sinister bit, with eyebrows that meet, rather long-nosed and full of grace. <laughs> I love that. Small in size, bald-headed, bow-legged, well-built, with eyebrows that meet, rather long-nosed and full of grace. So when you think apostolic, just forget the person up the front going, yeah, let's go for it. Think, ah, just an ordinary, maybe not very promising bloke who is just doing what God's called him to do. Third thing I want to say about the apostolic gift. It seems to me there's something about apostles that is confident and remains passionate through the years. There's something about proving God's faithfulness through success and failure that brings confidence. I love Paul's long list of problems in 1 Corinthians 4, what he'd gone through. You've got a job, I'm self-employed. You've got a home, I just sleep wherever I can. He's just been through it. There's something about us in the modern age that's kind of afraid of failure. And we're afraid of failure when it comes to faith. And the thing about faith, John Wimber used to say that faith is spelled R-I-S-K. The thing about faith is when you put it into practice, you have to live with the awful possibility that God might not be who he says he is, and he might not be faithful, and you might discover this doesn't work. Isn't that true? But these guys did it, sometimes made pretty big mistakes, but they found God was faithful. And I also love the fact that Paul never lost his fire despite all the opposition he came across. And have you discovered that things go wrong when you plan them? When you step out for God, you can get really hurt. And churches can let you down. Even vicars can disappoint sometimes. And I have this, sorry about that. <laughs> and I, I have this thing that God will often whisper into the back of my head when I'm thinking, oh, why doesn't someone give me a chance of doing that? And I was hurt by that. What's going on? And there's a little teaching where Paul writes to Timothy and just has this throwaway comment. All in Asia have deserted me. And it's a sort of encouragement. You say, thank you, Lord. I don't want that. You know, the vicar has disappointed me a bit. People haven't turned up to what I'm doing I've been let down by someone. All in Asia have deserted me. I've really managed not to annoy quite that number of people yet. I'm not sure Boris Johnson has achieved that, but let's not go there. All in Europe... Uh, should have stayed away from that one. There's something about getting our perspective right, because if you're going to be a pioneer, you just have to go through being let down and disappointed and hurt. And some of that letdown and disappointment and hurt will be from people in the church. 
you've not discovered that yet, you haven't been trying to do anything new. So let's try and land this and be, protect, um, be practical. Apostles see potential. I think the New Testament apostles are least likely to say, I'm not sure that's going to work. There's something about this calling that is, can do, what might happen, let's go forward. That's not, I wonder what will happen if it goes wrong. So how do you know if someone's got a teaching gift? Well, at the end of, I shouldn't be saying this when I'm standing up the front, the end of the talk, you say, that's made some things clearer for me. How do you know if someone's got a prophetic gift? Well, when they share something that God said, do you think, that was helpful, I feel like God's spoken to me. So how would you know if someone has an apostolic gifting and calling? I think because they see opportunities. They see what could be and they want to put it into practice. They're willing on the way to get things wrong and accept failure. Because they want to move with faith all the time, and we just don't hear God that clearly all the time. One other thing I'd like to say is, I don't think we should be too self-conscious about these callings. It's, I'm an apostle, I'm a teacher. Well, yeah, let's just use what God's given us. Let me introduce you to a friend of mine who, James Grist. Hi, James and Ellie, nice to have you back. Um, James Grist knows. It's a, a, a pastor in Uganda called Paul Wabakoma. Paul is a lovely guy. We met when we were both young men and we were sharing a place, in the, a room in the middle of nowhere and doing a mission. And he had this, he was my interpreter, and he had this intensely annoying habit of waking up in the morning and saying, Hallelujah, brother Ian, lead us in a prayer. I had to introduce him to the verse in Proverbs, and it's really there, that says, he who greets his neighbour with a loud voice early in the morning, it shall be counted as cursing. <laughs> God, I love the book of Proverbs. <laughs> and I tell that story every time I'm in church with him. It's great fun. But Paul uh, leads a church that he planted, that St Barnabas paid out of the building fund to finish off, He's an elder in the mother church that planted that one. He's planted, I don't know, five or six other churches that he oversees. He runs a Bible college. Uh, oh, yes, when he's finished preaching on a Sunday, he tends to get on the overnight bus to Nairobi because he's doing a master's in theology uh, at a university in Nairobi because he needs that to run the college. Now, I've never, ever heard Paul describe his ministry as apostolic. But frankly, if that isn't apostolic, I have no idea what is. It's the doing of it that means you have the gift, not the talking about it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these great examples of apostles that have gone before us. We thank you for that can-do attitude, that willingness to persevere even when things are tough. We thank you for the new things they started and we pray for one another, Lord, that those of us that have that calling to be pioneers would listen to your voice and do what you've called us to do. 
And we pray, Lord, that as a church with all the gifts functioning, we would go forward to fulfill the mission of our Lord Jesus. Amen.